third of the year 2019. It's our last sermon in our summer series, We Are the Church. And we've been looking at the first of two of Paul's letters to his protege, Timothy, that is recorded inspired in Holy Scripture. And today we're going to look at the last part of that letter. Today's sermon is entitled The Life of Passion, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 11 through 21. So the title of the series has been We Are the Church. We've spent this summer, every Sunday morning, studying through 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy was a letter from Paul to someone who Paul had mentored to become a pastor in the church. And Paul and his team, ministry team, including Timothy, have ministered in of the city of Ephesus, and then the rest of the team had moved on to a new area, and Timothy had stayed to be the pastor there. And so later, um, in those years when Timothy pastored there, and all the rest of that ministry team were somewhere else, Paul wrote him a letter, the first of two letters, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, now it's part of the New Testament. Paul has written to Timothy to remind and encourage him how the church is supposed to work. And when Paul is talking to Timothy about that, he's not talking about a building or a structure or a location. He's talking about the people of God who are described in this letter as the household of God. We are the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So this movement that Timothy was a part of, and this movement that we are a part of, is a supernatural movement. Humans didn't invent this. Jesus did. And he promises that it cannot be stopped. I love that passage in the book of Acts, shortly after Jesus has left the earth and returned to heaven. The church is this tiny little movement in the Roman Empire but there is this courage of boldness to these Christians that was hard to explain. There's a scene in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and some others are out in public sharing the good news. They got arrested and dragged before the religious authorities. The authorities tried to figure out how to punish them. And then there's, among those leaders, there's this old wise guy named Gamaliel. And he stands up and he's, he gives some examples of people who tried to do something like this in the past. And he said, others have tried to do stuff like this, and it never came to anything. So why don't you let them go? If their activities are of human origin, it'll come to nothing. But if they are from God, you are not able to stop them, and you will only find yourself fighting against God. Gamaliel's words were prophetic, because check this out. About 2,000 years now, People have tried to stop the church, sometimes with military force, sometimes with political policies, sometimes with intellectual intimidation, right? College professors telling freshman students, if you're a Christian, it's time to grow up and stop believing fairy tales. It's time to get enlightened. And yet, every time people try to push the church down, it just keeps popping up again. And there are places in the world today, like India and Africa and China and South America, where the church is just exploding in growth. 
So how do you account for that? 2,000 years after the founder is supposedly dead. The only way I can account for it is that Jesus Christ is actually alive. And he's keeping his promise to build his church. That's what Timothy was a part of, and that's what we're a part of. So this letter Paul wrote to Timothy is all about how this supernatural movement called the church is supposed to work. So first of all, a little review from what we've learned from Paul as he wrote to Timothy in this letter. We saw that the message of the church must focus on Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to provide forgiveness for our sins. That's the focus. And we can all say, like Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. The more you see the depth of your sins, the more you cherish the good news that Jesus saved. When you're when you cherish the good news, you never see the church as a country club, right? You see the church as a life-saving station because we have found this God who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul said a lot about leadership in this letter. Leaders of a church are watched very closely by people outside the church. I told you the story about my friend that I haven't seen since high school and how she is quick to post stuff on social media every time she thinks she catches someone connected with Christian faith in something that they shouldn't be doing. So the leaders in the Christian faith have to be people of character and integrity, and they have to be held to a high standard. Paul said the church better be a place that takes care of people who are truly needy, like widows. And he said that even... When we are followers of Christ and a part of the church, we always need to watch our own hearts because we have a tendency to create idols, idols like freedom and wealth, and we tend to make those our ultimate goals in life. So Paul reminds Timothy to keep reminding the people in your church that the only thing that truly satisfies, the only thing that truly brings joy is Jesus Christ himself. So now Paul is at the end of his letter and he has one more motivational speech for Timothy. Because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is perfect for us today. I've said this repeatedly. Yes, Timothy was a pastor, but these words are for all of us. Every single one of us is today leading someone else either closer or farther away from faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. So this word is for me. This word is for you. Carpe diem, a Latin term, seize the day. The movie Dead Poets Society is a great analogy for what Paul is about to say to Timothy. Do you, do you remember that movie? It's worth going and watching again. Robin Williams plays the English teacher at a private boys' school. And right at the beginning of the school year, he brings a boy's out of the English classroom, out into the hallway to a trophy case in the hallway. And in that case, along with the trophies, are all these pictures, all black and white, of students who have gone before them. And he gathers them all around in this dramatic moment, and he gives this phenomenal speech. And he says, Carpe diem, seize the day. Don't let this moment in your life slip by. Grab it. 
Pour yourself into it. Make it count. So with that in mind, let's read the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be glory and honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. For our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed, and in so doing, have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So first of all, we find in this passage a bold challenge at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this. And the obvious question is, what is all this from which he is to flee? It begins that verse with the word but, and you've heard me say this over and over, anytime you see the word therefore or the word but. When you see the word therefore, go back and see what's been said before that because it's drawing a conclusion on that. When you see the word but, but is a word of negation. It's saying that what came before this, I now am saying something different. So there was things that were said before this passage that starts at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. You can go back there and see what they are. But you, man of God, flee from all this. So, what is it that he is to flee? Paul was talking about the false teachers who had infiltrated the church, teaching them the false idols of freedom and, the, and wealth, the prosperity gospel. Those two things are specifically mentioned by Paul for the church there. And we struggle with them today. What is it that a response to the idols of freedom and wealth? Flee! Here's the general principle. There are times when sin is so tempting, so deceiving, that you shouldn't try to reason with it. You shouldn't try to get close to it without falling into it. The best thing you can do is just run away from it. For instance, today we live in a promiscuous society. You can find a place where any and every sexual expression is confirmed. And at the same time, 
in the same society. God says to the church to be holy because I am holy. That's what God calls us to. The only God-approved, God-blessed expression of our sexuality is between one man and one woman within the covenant relationship of marriage. To guard yourself so that you do not fall into situations of temptation. So there's an application in our day and age. So part of living a life of faith with passion is realizing that there are certain things that you should just flee from. But please, don't stop there. Don't ever define your faith by the list of things that you don't do. You know, and I know, I sat at work and listened to a couple of them this week who know that I'm a, a, a Christian, a pastor, and, and I listened to what they had to say. There are people out there who think that Christians are people who don't drink, don't dance, don't smoke, don't play cards, and don't go to Harry Potter movies, right? Christians are people who don't have any fun. So yes, there are things that we need to flee from and avoid. But the main thing that Paul leaves with Timothy is all the stuff we're to go after. Continuing on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The word pursue there means to go after something passionately and aggressively until you get it. Don't be satisfied with where you are right now. Don't settle for less. Realize that God wants to grow you so much stronger and so much deeper, so much more faithful than you are today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many men. The word for fight is literally agony. Agonize, the good agony of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Remember when we talked about physical workouts and going to the gym and walking with God and putting Jesus Christ first in your life is a fight. Sometimes it comes a little easier, but a lot of times it's a fight and it's worth it. Almost nobody says, man, I just love going to the gym and working hard and straining my muscles and my body and breathing hard and getting all out of breath and sweating all over. I love that, right? Sometimes, maybe most of the time, it's like agony. But what we like is the increase in life and the increase in stamina in, in the better fat-to-muscle ratio in the body, right, that we that we can go longer in the rest of life because we agonize in the gym. That's what it's like. Walking with God and putting Jesus first in your life, it's a fight. Sometimes it's agonizing. Sometimes it comes a little easier. A lot of times it's a fight, but guess what? The effects that you get now for eternity makes it worth it. That's why we do it. So take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. You're called to eternity. Don't just sit around and, and 
goof off through life and all you have to heaven. Live it now. Bring eternity into today. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Intentionally and passionately grab a hold of your eternal life now. Seize the day. Don't put your faith on autopilot. Don't coast. Don't. You have to pursue and fight and take hold and pour yourself into this faith. All this makes sense when you're sitting in church this morning. Oh yeah, that's good stuff, man. Right? I get it. I'm right there with you. Preached. But here's what's going to happen. You'll get up tomorrow or the next day and the last thing you'll want to do is fight a good fight. You won't want to fight any fight. You'll want to hit the snooze bar. You'll be tempted to skip prayer. And when you have opportunities to take a risk for the kingdom or speak your faith or be generous, you'll be strongly tempted to play it safe or to be passive and to do nothing because that's human nature. Even Timothy had human nature. Even pastors have human nature. So Paul gives us three reasons why we should pursue our faith with such passion. First is in the second part of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. When you made your good confession in the presence of many enemies. There are countries in the world today where Christianity is illegal. And baptism is really drawing the line in the sand. When you get baptized there, you're not playing around. You're not just considering Christianity. You're publicly identifying yourself as a Christian. You're basically saying, I want you to hold me accountable to living out my faith. And I want to encourage you here today, if you haven't been baptized, uh, is it possible that you kind of hang back and don't fully commit because you haven't really drawn the line in the sand in your faith? If you would like to be baptized, let me know. We'll make that happen. Beginning at the end of verse 13 and then going on into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. The second reason you should live your faith with passion is the imminent return of Christ. Jesus is coming back, and it could be soon. And whether he comes back soon or not, life is temporary. And life is uncertain. You never know how much time you have. Any day, either Jesus could come back or you could go to meet him. So live passionately for Christ. Because this could be the last day you get to do it. And then continuing in verse 15, 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And that's good stuff. The third reason for living with passion is the staggering glory of God. The God we worship is the only sovereign. Every human president, king, and prime minister, and all the other leaders really only there because God lets them be there. God alone has immortality. You see that? Who alone 
is immortal. And this is, this is just a short phrase in a letter from Paul to Timothy that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, part of the New Testament. But this is a line in the sand between us and the Mormon cult that we live alongside of. They believe that there's all kinds of immortality. They believe that your spirit is immortal, that it existed immortally forever before it got attached to a human body and came to this earth. Um, they believe that there's a whole pantheon of gods. They believe that there was a bunch of gods who sat down around a table somewhere to decide who was going to be over this universe and Jesus got there. And all these immortal gods were sitting around the table, one of whom was Satan. A God, immortal, at the table as an equal with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who were seven gods. So, there is only one immortal. There is only one God. There is only one sovereign. He is revealed to us most clearly through Jesus Christ. So, there's a dividing line in the sand, and that's why we know they are a cult, and that's why we don't find fellowship with them, and that's why we take every opportunity to lead them to save faith in the God who really is Jesus Christ. So, third reason for living with passion, the staggering glory of God. God alone has immortality. God is the only one in the universe who never didn't exist. He has no beginning. He has no end. Oh, the uniqueness and the greatness of the one and only God. This is why we sing to God and we sing of God every Sunday. We spend significant time in every worship service just singing to God and singing about God, expressing our faith in God through song and worship. Because you've just spent six days being bombarded by the trivial and the temporary. And when you show up at church, you should encounter something eternal. Something awesome. You need that. And I need that. When you lose that sense of awe, your faith just shrivels. Jesus could return at any day. Or any one of us could go to meet him today. Let us worship. Live passion. Now Paul gives us a warning. Second point of today's sermon is this wise warning, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Some of us are thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm definitely not rich. And I want to suggest to you that if you had that thought when you heard that verse, that you need to hear it the most of anybody in this room today. Think of, for a minute, how the rich people in Timothy's church lived. They never rode in a car. They never went over to a switch on the wall and turned on the light. They never heard of indoor plumbing and running water. They never watched TV. They never flew in a plane. They couldn't have surgery if they needed it. They never even heard of a mattress with springs in it. They never went into a dwelling and saw a 
toilet. The scripture says they were rich. So here's my question. If they were rich, what am I? You see the point? Compared to the people at Timothy's church, you and I, every single one of us, are living in unimaginable luxury. So many of our needs and our wants and our desires are within our reach. Therefore, what it says to them, it says to us, so let us hear it. Here's the warning. Nothing will shut down your passion for God more effectively than loving money. This is a warning for those of us in this room today. Knowing that God commands us to tithe, some of us don't give any money at all. Anything that God offers, money lies and says, oh, I can give you that too. So hang on to it. And the offering plate goes by and we put nothing in. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what the best way to make sure that money is not your idol? Or the best way to tell if it is, give some of it away. Scripture says the tithe. That's where you start. It's the first place. If you, if you can't bring yourself to do that, then guess what? Nothing kills materialism like generosity. Remember this. It's not how much money you have. It's how you view it and how you use it. Paul comes back to this multiple times in this letter to Timothy. It is holy inspired scripture. So God keeps bringing us back to this point. Take it to heart. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 20 and 21, the end of the letter. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. In, in Paul's next letter to Timothy that's recorded in Scripture, 2 Timothy says that Timothy learned the good news that Jesus saved from his mom, who learned it from her mom. So this truth about Jesus Christ was passed down from mother to daughter to son. Paul says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. In America today, we don't like being told what to do. And we don't like being told what to believe. Oh, you know, I mean, I heard this this week at work. Two people finding their opportunity to talk before someone that they now know is a, 
he's a Christian and a pastor. Oh, you know, man, I, I, I got my own beliefs. It's cool, you know. I mean, I, I, don't go to, I don't need to go to church, man. I can go out and worship in nature somewhere, you know. And, and uh, um, I got it, you know. Don't, don't press me. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to believe. I got my, I got my own beliefs, right? And, and uh, so don't judge me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus and He alone saves has been entrusted to you, like Paul reminds Timothy, who was entrusted to Him. It was entrusted to you. You didn't invent it, you didn't make up your own system of beliefs. This started thousands of years ago. And it has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And somehow, 2,000 years later, it made its way to you. Everybody, each one of us, has their own story of how they heard the good news. And who was used in that process. So what you have received, it's like a deposit that's been entrusted to you. And the Bible is telling us, well, so this idea of entrusted to you is what I want to leave you with this morning. We're here in the year 2019, and we're learning from these words that God inspired almost 2,000 years ago. People's lives are being changed by this message. My life is being changed. Your life is being changed. People's lives are being changed by this message 2,000 years later. That's really amazing. All is saying to Timothy, and Scripture is saying to us, don't depart from the faith because it's our loss. It's your loss. It's my loss if we do. The good news will not move. It's not the church's loss when we depart from faith because Jesus has declared he is building the church and he's going to build it Nothing is going to come against it to stop him. And Jesus will build his church whether we are a part of it or not. If you want something that is worth being passionate about, if you want something worth pouring everything you have into it, there's nothing like following Jesus Christ as Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this letter that your Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to Timothy. 